Well, hello there. You're listening to On Air with Adrian. This is an uncensored podcast. Join me as I explore exceptional cocktails, culinary delights, lifestyle trends, and inspiring personalities, and how they shape our daily lives. Now, before we get started, grab yourself a drink and join me on this incredible journey. How would you like to travel the world, sample the finest cocktails, and have the best food? Well, my next guest does that for a living. Well, in a nutshell, she is the founder of the Dram Attic, as well as the Academy Chair for Asia's and the World's 50 Best Bars, and an independent consultant for emerging craft spirits. I'm actually in the presence of greatness, trying to keep it all together. But Priyanka Blah, thank you so much for uh, joining me. Thank you, Adrian. Wonderful introduction. I'm blushing right now. I know. <laughs> but to be here. You just came back from Japan. Before that, you were in Singapore for the World's 50 Best. And now we just wrapped up BCB. You mean you have to go to so many bars, you have to drink a lot, right? How do you stay in the zone? Uh, to answer that question, firstly, I don't have to drink a lot. Okay. <laughs> I think how much I drink is entirely up to me. For example, in the last two days, I've on an average had two cocktails and three non-alcoholic drinks but you're also just sampling cocktails as well usually yes if yeah. it's been a busy few back-to-back days of like industry events i don't finish all my drinks like yeah. i know most bartenders don't get offended by that because they can relate and they understand yeah but usually no i don't finish all my drinks there's a lot of alcohol and sugar being consumed in every drink so i try and i try to balance it out i'm not saying i'm always this good or responsible but i try yeah, you try. You go to a lot of bars, of course, yeah. but uh, let's take it back a little bit. You're from Shillong. You right. moved to Bangalore when you were 16. Mm-hmm. You studied there. Did you ever think that your life would turn out like this? Never. Never. <laughs> Never. I mean, I might have dreamed of a life of travel and good food and good drink, but I don't think I ever thought the opportunity would present itself the way it has. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. Yeah, but in terms of what you were studying then, right, before the dramatic was founded, very interesting story. You used to do voiceovers. Yes, so, and okay. This also helped you sort of enter this industry, baby steps, but it allowed you that sort of freedom to sample some of the finest whiskies and so on. Right, so a bit of context to that. Uh, so I left home when I was 16. Having lived in a small town, our parents always encouraged my siblings and I to move out of home at a young age, become independent, move to a different city, move to the big city rather and find your opportunities there. So they sent us to study in the city and from there we had to sort of figure out our path. And uh, once I was in college, I started working small odd jobs like, well, working in bars and restaurants at that point wasn't really an option for us, especially as a 18-year-old girl, it wasn't normal. So I picked up jobs in writing so I was a music writer for the then launch Rolling Stone in India but I used to also do a lot of voiceovers for radio. Okay. Radio in India at that point was a huge phenomenon right so I did a lot of voiceovers for that and then I earned a lot of good pocket money doing these jobs and I used that pocket money to um, try different whiskies that I would otherwise not be able to afford at that age. You know, at 21, 20 you, you can't really pay for expensive whiskies out of nowhere. That afforded me the ability to try cocktails, whiskies, and because there were such rare and precious experiences for me, I started documenting them on what I then used to call my blog. Um, this was before Instagram, obviously. Yeah, just to be able to document and not not forget the experiences that I had with these spirits. And one thing led to another, and that's how the dramatic was born, out of just interest and hobby and me documenting my own journey. <laughs> Voiceovers led to this incredible life. But at the time, what was the bar scene like in India when you were going to sample these whiskies and so on? Uh, 
so India at that point was mostly pubs. There was a big pub culture in India, especially where I was living, Bangalore was the pub city of India. There were like 200 odd pubs at that point even, right? And very good pubs. But the focus was mostly beer, straight drinks. Cocktail culture was only barely emerging in that part of the world. And even when it did, it was in the shape and form of like a Cosmopolitan, a LIT, a Mojito, you know, the drinks that we, we know to be associated with the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, so that's where India was at that point. And craft cocktails came in only uh, maybe, I wouldn't discredit the Indian bartenders now, but I'd say it's been about 20 years since, you know, the, the craft of cocktail making in India has changed. So when I was there, I was mostly focusing on drinking whiskeys and the, on the rare occasion that there would be like someone making like a, an old fashioned or a Manhattan or a Sazerac and be like, wow, what's that? It sounds fascinating. Let me try it. But yeah, mostly cocktail culture was uh, LITs and Cosmopolitans or Apple Martinis, or Kiwi oh, wow. Martinis. Apple Martinis, <laughs> yeah. It's come a long way yeah, since then. Exactly, right? But when the Dramatic first started, mm. how was the response from the local community in India? So at the time when Dramatic started as an unconscious uh, chronicling of the bar industry or drinks and cocktail culture, there wasn't really much of a response because people didn't exactly understand what I was trying to do or that I was doing it for a reason because I wasn't. I was doing it for myself. Brands, of course, started acknowledging the website or then blog and trying to collaborate with me in terms of writing about the events, writing about their spirits, writing about the new launches. But I think when Dramatic truly found recognition or respect in India was much later when I started writing about global bars and the global cocktail scene and cocktail culture and people started reading them as guides or references as to, you know, if, I would, if they were going to Paris, where should they go to drink? If they were going to Singapore, where should they go to drink? and only then did Dramatic start becoming a thing in India, which was actually not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, founded in 2016. Yeah. We're in 2023, yeah. almost a decade. Well, almost a couple more years to go, but yeah. you... Actually, I've been doing Dramatic for much longer than that, but as a website in its current shape yeah. and form, it's been, yeah, 2016. And from yeah. that, so so you got to collaborate with a lot of brands, as you were saying, mm. got to experience the world, fantastic life of uh, cocktails and great food. When you were asked if you wanted to be mm. Academy Chair on mm. uh, Asia's 50 Best Bars, the world's 50 Best Bars, mm. what was the first thing that came to your mind or how did you sort of respond to their request? Honestly, I was very pleasantly surprised and I was grateful for the opportunity, not just because it was a huge opportunity for me or a huge recognition of my efforts to sort of highlight cocktail culture in my part of the world, but I think it was a very huge validation from 50 Best and their team to recognize South Asia as such an important part of the emerging cocktail culture in Asia. So I thought it was a, I felt like it was an honor to be able to do this on behalf of the region. And um, every day I hope that I'm not letting anybody down. When you're also recognized, as number 22 on the 100 most influential people in the bar community in the world. Numbers are numbers. I read a little bit about that and where you say you really fight for the underdogs and you want to shine the spotlight on them and really, you know, bring them up. So as your time, having held this job as Academy Chair, what are some of those stories that you can possibly share with me? So without getting too specific, I have always been about the underdog because growing up, I was the underdog. Mm. So like for me, was person from a small town like Shillong to be doing what I do right now and to be getting that kind of recognition and acknowledgement of my work, it was an unthinkable thing for me. Yeah. Right? I never imagined something this could happen. Similarly, Young Dublama has a similar story. He's also from a very small town called Darjeeling and, you know, and now doing great things for himself. So stories like ours, I find very inspiring and I can 
I sometimes have to pinch myself to sort of think about whether this is real, you know, because sometimes I find myself in situations that I would have never imagined and I'm grateful for it. So for me, it's very important that I tell the story of the underdogs because I want the underdogs to know that this is a possible reality for them. So for an example, like I really like to shine the spotlight on bars and bartenders who might not necessarily be in the mainstream right now, not in the fold. People don't really know their names because not everyone is really good at promoting themselves or talking about themselves. And I used to be exactly that person. I'm not saying I'm much better at it now. I'm getting better, but not many people are good at advocating for themselves. And so I think it's my job as someone who represents the region to be able to, in my own way, shine the spotlight or at least bring them into the fold by whether that's by making meaningful introductions or you know sharing opportunities with them that might help or telling people about them or pushing them in the right direction. So I feel that's my role. Uh, one of the people who I think I have seen grow along his journey and I'm so, so proud is Ankush Gamre from Mars who I met I think eight nine years ago when he was just starting off on his journey and he was so shy and he's still very shy but he's <laughs> but he's just blossomed into this wonderful bartender that I'm so proud of and I'm so proud that India has someone like him among many others but Ankush for me really represents what can become of someone who never thought that might be possible for him and now I find bartenders and bar owners from all over the world messaging me ask if he's available for a shift if he's available for this if he can travel whether they can have him over and like I I think I see a bit of myself in him as well, you know. Yeah. So yeah, these are the stories I want to share. But at the same time, there's also these experts that are out there. You mentioned the likes of Devender. More recently, you have a Rohan Hemant as well, who's in New yeah. York. Is there a bit of fear that when they shine as bright as they do, particularly in, on social media, mm -hmm. Instagram, for example, is there fear that they will be sort of drawn to almost leave India and join something else? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, how do you fill that void? How do you sort of there's always, well, I wouldn't say it's a fear. Everyone's on their own journey and each one to his own, right? I think if they stay in a country like India and do what they can to bring the scene up or uplift it together, that makes us happy. But at the same time, you can't hold people back from pursuing their own path and their journey, right? Devender did that, Ashish did that, Hemant did that, Rohan is doing that, and they're all very happy and doing really well for themselves. And so we're happy for them and I'm happy for them. Um, at the same time, I'm equally happy when people do that and come back. You know, one example is Shantanu from home who was in Dubai, did really well for himself. Everyone in the global community knows him and loves his work but he chose to come back and bring that back to India. Ankush has had I'm sure several opportunities thrown his way but he's chosen to stay there and sort of elevate what's happening in the community there itself so I'm equally happy and proud of both and uh, there's nothing that one can do to change their mind but uh, that's fine you know it's our journey. <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a great place to be because now India has evolved a lot we're seeing that with the likes of the musicians and artists that come out to play at some of these huge festivals and they do all these concerts and we're seeing that with in the bar community as well in India. Mm -hmm. Sidecar, Home, Bombay Canteen, so many of them. But at mm -hmm. the same time, you're getting a lot of international mm -hmm. bartenders who've never been to India mm -hmm. to do all these guest shifts. And for maybe the local population out there who don't get to witness all of this, mm -hmm. what's been that feeling like for, because you talk to a lot of people within the bars mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. customers, how does that make them feel when all these, not celebrities, but international bartenders, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. just rack up to these bars? I think in our our industry we're used to seeing a certain culture of well idol worship right like in any industry like whether it's film or it's music there's always like idol worship like you see you identify with like the great heroes of your craft and you just like can't wait for the day that you get to meet them or have a drink that they made or just be 
able to say hi or take a picture with them. Yeah. There is an element of that, which is, I find it endearing, to be honest. Mm. I think it's really nice to be able to meet your heroes who inspired you and inspired your work and all of that. But more than that, I think the most important part of like international bartenders coming to India is, well, there's a caveat to this. If they are the kind of bartender who is not just using it as an opportunity to see a new country, but also hoping to be able to contribute and share with them and impart some knowledge and help them grow, I'm a huge fan of that because I feel, like you said, you know, it's really difficult for a lot of Indian bartenders to travel to all these places and access the kind of knowledge and cocktails and bar culture and imbibe it the way we do. So it's important for us to bring it closer to them for them to be able to experience it. But I always wish and I hope that the visiting bartenders have it in the back of their head that this is not just a holiday I need to be able to add value to this community and help them however I can so when I see that happen like in the case of Alchemico, Hincock, Waxon like these are the three recent examples I can think of there was so much value that they brought to the table and how they engage with community and how much the bartenders learned from them I think that's it's special like it's not a holiday I mean it is a holiday guys but like do something it's a work trip to yeah do something to make them feel like they've learned something from you today all those years later when they can see a little bit of them yeah. it's amazing yeah does this job ever get i don't want to use the word boring do you feel at times that maybe you just want to take a step back and just maybe focus on something else rather than be out all the time that's a good question because i actually do that a lot mm. <laughs> when i go back to india i'm quite a hermit i'm probably one of the most anti-social people in the industry in India or like generally because when I'm home I'm home I don't want to be doing the same thing that I do every day when I'm traveling when I'm traveling I'm socializing a lot I'm going to the bars I'm going to events or tastings or you know doing what I'm expected to do so when I go back home it's actually my choice whether I want to drink every day or not and maybe I do drink one whiskey a day but I don't feel the pressure to go out to every event that's happening in the city because I feel like that is a very dangerous precedent to set for myself and and if I don't draw those boundaries and those lines for myself, then the expectation will just be unrealistic, you know. It's interesting because I had this conversation two days ago with someone over lunch and I said the pressure to be seen all the time in the industry can get quite unhealthy because you almost feel like if you're not seen everywhere all the time, people will forget you and you will not stay relevant. And they might feel offended. And the other side might feel yeah. offended. But at the same time, I feel like if you're doing enough and if you're making an impact in your own way and that's the expectation from the other side to see you at everything all the time, then that's not luck because if I can't look after myself I'm not going to be of much use in a couple of years you know my mental health my physical health these are all things that matter and uh, I don't know a lot of us don't think about it and don't talk about it but I'm thinking about it now yeah. I will not succumb to the pressure of being you know a social butterfly or being seen at everything all the time or be seen in all the pictures and tagged in everything I'm just like it's okay guys hopefully my work is meaningful enough that if I don't see you for two months you won't forget about me but if you do so be it you know it's not a popularity contest for me for sure work life <laughs> Balance. It is. <laughs> From stories like, because I've also talked to Minachi about, to see the both of you mm. shine as bright as you've done. It's still an industry that's dominated by men. Mm -hmm. But then when you have the both of you be as brilliant as you are, how is that being sort of received back home? Is there a bit of jealousy? Is it a little bit of an uncomfortable <laughs> oh situation to be in? Or? I do love answering questions like this because I find I used to never be the most diplomatic person in the world. I'm not known for my diplomacy, let's just say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I find questions like this particularly challenging, but it, yeah, I like a challenge. I so think, certain things need to be addressed yeah, as well. I, yeah, I think in general people are proud. In my case in particular, I feel like people who started off being proud of me or happy for me have now crossed over to the dark side. Oh. You know what I mean? Like suddenly I feel there's a resentment, animosity, or maybe a, some people feel like I don't deserve this. What have I done to deserve this? And maybe they deserve it more than I do. And, you know, these are all natural human emotions and it's fine. Like we've all been through phases where we've been happy for someone and then not been happy for someone because we want what they have and it's jealous it's the natural human reaction to life <laughs> and uh, it used to affect me it doesn't anymore because i'm thinking i'm just doing what i have to do and whatever happens to me is not necessarily my doing you know absolutely and so what the universe throws at me i just have to accept and you have to accept that as well so <laughs> For the younger generation who, like I said before, in this age of social media, people go to bars, take a lot of pictures, they want to write about it, start their blogs. What's the one bit of advice that you can sort of give them? Because it's tough. There's so many of them out there. But at the same time, is it worth sticking around and doing this? I mean, not everyone can be like you. But what bit of advice do you want to sort of give them? I think because I was one of the few lucky ones who managed to go through adulthood in the pre-internet revolution phase and then during and you know now like my generation has seen cassettes cds usb <laughs> mp3 cloud we've seen like we are that transitional generation so for me maybe it wasn't as difficult for me to hold back and to sort of draw the line somewhere but i think if you are someone who has been born into this current generation where the you're born into social media right and you're you've basically been immersed in it from the time you were uh, a teenager or whatever i think if you don't constantly evaluate who you're, like your authentic self and your social media self and you don't constantly try and make sure that they are in a living in a symbiotic relationship with each other then you might find yourself in a situation where you're in at a lot of conflict within yourself because you'll always be trying to be someone else or try and live up to the image that you've projected on social media so i think putting these checkpoints in place for yourself are important taking time off social media is important not having to share everything that's an important thing like there's things that i know i share a lot on social media but believe me there are things that i do not share you know because yeah, people only see the good side right all, exactly. all the good stuff yeah so a lot of people ask me oh what a great life and you know like get to travel all the time I'm, I'm like yeah great but do you also know that i have like a million excel sheets to look at every week do you also know that i have like 400 open like word documents in, during the year that i'm constantly working on right not 440 you know you should write a book. who's going to share that you should write a book <laughs> about what about my word documents the journey <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people make a lot of assumptions about who you are based on your social media. True, and, jump to uh, conclusions. Which is fine, I mean, because that's the life I've chosen to put out there. So it's fine if they make an assumption, but the reality is that nobody is ever their authentic self on social media. Yeah. Me neither. Because no there's so much of my personal life, my personal journey, my struggles, how I feel on a day-to-day -day basis and going through like a bad phase. I don't share it on social media, but that doesn't mean I don't live that reality, yeah. you know. You don't also so. don't have to, like you said, you don't have to share everything that I don't. Happens. Some things that I'm a very like private person, yeah. believe it or not. But when things need to be said about something, yeah. then you will take a stand for it. As well. Absolutely. That's, that's very important. Um, just a couple more before we uh, wrap this up. In terms of the evolution of the bar industry, the industry, the mm -hmm. cocktail community there, how much has changed post-pandemic? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, Indian hospitality went through a very tough phase during the lockdown, both the lockdowns, because there was no support from the government. People, like the government didn't help 
pay wages or support in terms of rent or anything. So, and also delivering alcohol in India is not technically allowed in most places. So doing the bottle cocktails and home deliveries was also not an option. So during that time, a lot of hospitality workers either A, lost their jobs or left the industry because they didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It was just hard for them to survive with like no income for like two years. And so getting those people back has been a challenge. So I think like in Singapore as well, Staffing has been not the simplest thing to do, even though like look at a look at a population is like over a billion, right? But it's hard to find people to work in the industry. So in that way, in that sense, we're struggling. And then we've also lost a lot of good people over the years who've left the country or moved industries or whatever, and like they're not no you know sign of them coming back. But despite that, I feel like we're on an upward sort of trajectory. If the government lends our industry more support and is more empathetic or understanding of the struggles that the industry goes through. I think we are capable of creating world-class products and bars and restaurants, which we have. And it's getting, yeah, it's getting recognition. Which we have and we'll be recognized for. But the more we do this, the more others are encouraged to do it and the more we, we can, you know, increase the quantity of those quality bars and restaurants. I think what we're lacking is just support from, you know, government. More support is needed. Yeah. Last question, you go to so many cocktail bars. Don't ask me what's my favorite. No, I won't okay. ask you what's your favorite. But what is your drink of choice when you go into a bar? Into a bar or a cocktail bar? Any bar. I mean, my drink of choice is a Mizuari, you know? Okay. <laughs> I'm a whiskey girl. But uh, if it's a cocktail, it'll be a, a martini or a Sazerac. My first drink of choice is always a Mizuari. It has to be well made. It has to be perfect amount of whiskey, the perfect amount of water, and the perfect temperature. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Because the ice has to be perfect. <laughs> the ice does have yeah, to Yeah, I don't have perfect. the luxury of making that beautiful Japanese ice at home, but I still try and stir it to the right temperature. <laughs> fascinating conversation speaking with Priyanka Bla, the founder of The Drama Attic, as well as the Academy Chair for Asia's and the World's 50 Best Bars and an independent consultant for emerging craft spirits. Priyanka, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much, Adrian. Thank you for taking the time out. I know you're a very busy schedule. And I look forward to seeing you soon and, you know, keep spreading the love, keep fighting for those underdogs because you have made a lot of change and it will continue. So you continue doing the good work. I think what you're doing is also very important, sharing our stories and putting our message out. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm.